That's good. Let's pray. Father, help me and help us. Help us uh, jog through a bit of the New Testament and even the Old Testament today. And maybe see what you've put forth in your son, Jesus. And maybe as I have over the last few years, see with eyes afresh to maybe burn, as we learned last week, as Jesus himself opened up scriptures to people who were seeking and learning and following him. Open up the scriptures to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody have the pollen thing going on this week? I'm bad, so I got water and everything. I got a couple others, so hang with us, right? The drought is over, which means the plants are growing, which means allergies ahoy. Here we go, all right. So, we have one week between what I taught last week. If you weren't here, it was called So Now What? After the resurrection, after Easter. And we talked a bit about Luke 24 when Jesus kind of was sneaky Jesus and he kind of disguised himself on the road to Emmaus and he told disciples about the Old Testament because they were crushed. And then he still disguised himself and he opened the scriptures to them and their hearts burned because they finally understood the Old Covenant and what the Old Testament pointed to. That's kind of cool, right? They were confused. So the first thing we learned, it's, it's okay to have confusion sometimes and have a few doubts. This isn't a, this church is not a you better know it or don't come in the door club. I hope you know that, right? It's okay. We'll get through it together. We'll walk this road with Jesus together. And so Jesus was still disguised and he said, I'm out of here, guys. And they said, please stay with us. It's late. Come with us. Stay with us. Tell us more. And he took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. They recognized him as Jesus, and he was gone. I didn't get to it last week, but Luke records, Luke records in the end of 24, but the bread remained. So there's a lot of teaching points there. And the thought was, so now what? And that was on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus would go on to appear to more and eventually ascend to his Father in heaven. Luke 24, 32, so you can see it, so the pastor's not freaking you out. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he what? Opened up the scriptures. That's interesting for a lot of reasons. These men and others following Jesus, especially if they were Jewish, we're not sure, but the Jewish disciples were very familiar with the scriptures. When, when Luke refers to scriptures, what is he referring to then? The Old Testament. The New Testament was not completed. It was still being lived out and written out. But it says that this man on this road opened up the Old Testament, the Bible to them, we'll say, the Jewish scriptures, and their hearts burned. When was the last time your heart burned? I took Kayla to see Coldplay last year. I'm pretty sure her heart burned. Mine burned for a few songs, you know what I mean? But it was amazing. Sorry about that. We were overwhelmed. But when was the last time your heart burned? And what I mean by that, you knew in peace that life was not completely about you, and that's actually healthy. Don't tell that to American culture. <laughs> and you were okay with it, and you knew there was a vision or a reason for you to be on this earth bigger than yourself. That's what it's getting at. That's burning. And you knew you had things to do, and you weren't doing them out of duty. You were doing them out of what? Delight. 
That's that burning, I'm, I'm a human, I'm in my humanity, I'm broken and weak, but God in his calling has made me whole and he's given me a mission to serve him. And so he began to open up the scriptures. He began to tell them why he came in the way he came. He began to tell them he had to go to the cross and be sacrificed. He began to tell them he would be raised from the dead, the Messiah. And then he probably began to tell them now there's work for them to do. And so their hearts burned. Growing up in church, around church since I was about 10, youth group and whatnot, my heart burned every June because I went to summer camp. Anybody been there? Anybody have a real good spiritual high for a few days and come home and everything's the same? Because in the church I was in and in the church culture I was in, in the mid-90s, I guess, you know, we got lots of different views of God. Now, it wasn't polytheism. They weren't teaching heresy. But how God was taught to us, it was kind of like the buffet line at Hometown Buffet. You ever been in, anybody been to Hometown Buffet? I've been, okay? They got everything. And so over here you have the shrimp, and that's kind of like God in the wilderness. Don't eat shrimp. Or what, I'm really going off the cuff now, whatever. And over here you have the rice, and that's kind of God the way he revealed himself back then. And then over here you have the bread, and that's kind of how God revealed himself back then. And then over here, a little bigger section with shiny lights, that's Jesus, and that's how God revealed himself then. But then we have Paul and Peter, and on and on and on. And what I understood was God is one, but he has lots of different faces. And sometimes his face is like, bring it, you're done, fight me. Okay. And sometimes his face is like, I'll forgive you, but, and it was almost like a lawyer quid pro quo. And sometimes his face was like, I'm going to feed everybody. And so I was confused in growing up sometimes in that internal confusion, I became a pastor. Isn't that great? <laughs> Who wants to come back to church next week? <laughs> Nobody. But I was having these discussions, even with some of my leaders and pastors, and there was always this confusion. And I've been on a journey maybe over the last three or four or five years. Some of you have seen it. Which, God, what are you like? Because I get confused. And sometimes in my own heart, I begin to avoid passages of Scripture or preach through them in one way because I kind of feel like I have to get God off the hook. And so there's a balance, right? But we know on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus, Sneaky Jesus, we should do a sermon series called Sneaky Jesus, right? That'd be funny. With a little cloak. No, I'm just kidding. He opened up the scriptures to his disciples. And they basically said, don't leave us. We want more. So whatever happened and what continued to happen was amazing. And so now we come to, okay, pastor, so now what? Part two is what we're calling this. And like I said, my heart would burn from time to time, but I would come back down off the mountain and I would do my stuff, whatever I did, good stuff. Help out with youth ministry, go work on an ambulance, try and love my wife, all good stuff. But there was a disconnect in my own heart. 2010, George Barna took his poll and 83% of Americans say I'm Christian. That's crazy. That's eight out of 10 at the mall this afternoon. Maybe not in the Bay Area, I get it. Let's go to Nebraska, Ohio. Eight out of 10 say, yeah, I identify with Jesus. But then he and his staff dug deeper. 75% of those say I'm, who I'm Christian don't see any significant differences between them and their non-Christian counterparts. 
So what I'm getting at is those Christians, we Christians, our hearts burn for a moment, but then usually we're just like, we're Christians. That's not how it was in the early church. That's not how it was with these disciples. So what is the key? And as I've, you're going to hear a lot of kind of my story over the last three years, maybe this morning for another few minutes, so I hope you're okay with that. I think Jesus is showing his church something more and always has been doing so, but I missed it. So this isn't a sneaky teaching. I'll show you from the Bible. I don't want to freak anyone out. I taught it last year. Go to Mark 9 real quick, guys. I never saw the scriptures like this. Mark 9, verse 7. We taught it through a whole sermon. It's somewhere online. Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up with a couple of his boys, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud said what? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is right after Peter says, let's build a mall here and make some money, Jesus. That's what he literally says in the language. You've transfigured. This is great. Let's bring all the Jewish folk and go, this is the spot. Why? Because that's all over the Old Testament. Ebenezer, altars, everywhere. All these mountains, if you go to the Holy Land, are named after specific events. And what does Peter want to do? I'm a businessman. And God the Father says at that moment, very tactfully, shut your mouth. And listen to him. And who is with Jesus in Mark 9 in the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. The law and the who? Prophets. The whole Old Testament, metaphorically, is with Jesus. And Jesus is being radiated. And they're kind of off like this. And God the Father says, stop talking, Peter. Just listen. So at the theological buffet, at Hometown Buffet... Jesus' section just got a little bigger, right? A lot bigger, right? Now it's blinking. So I go, oh. So you start to read that and go, what's going on? Remember in Exodus. Ooh, I'm going through puberty, right? Remember in Exodus, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He hangs out with God. What do the people do? Lose their minds. Build a calf and go crazy and live in idolatry for three days, Moses comes down and gets very angry and breaks the law. He comes down and breaks the law, and people die. Bloodshed happens. The Levites get a little aggressive. On the way down in this account, you know what happens exactly after in Mark's account of the mountain transfiguration? Jesus walks down a gentle slope mountain and heals a demon-possessed boy. What I'm getting at is seeing, and this is the way I'm starting to see things, seeing Jesus as the full and ultimate and complete revelation of God looks different than my hometown buffet vision of God, right? Because he rolls down and goes, Spirit, come out. Bless this family and this boy. So that's why I started to get, I have it in here, you probably can ask my wife. She probably says no because I sleep quickly. When you work on an ambulance for 12 years, you got to learn how to sleep quickly. That's just the way it goes. You eat quickly and sleep quickly. But these are some of the questions that are going through my mind as I fall asleep over the last couple of years and then even early in the morning. God, what are you like? Like, really, what are you like? I mentioned it over and over, but you guys are probably sick of it by now, but 
Hebrews 1, verse 3 has become the penultimate passage the last two years for me. Hebrews 1, verse 3. It'll be there in a sec. Look at that first line. He, Jesus, excuse me, you know what that means in layman's terms? God's decided to show off and he sent Jesus. That's what it literally says. God has decided to show himself off and he sent Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory, the pinnacle of God's glory. What he wants to say to the world, his name is Jesus Christ. And so now in my theological journey, the hometown buffet is shut down and now it's a restaurant called Jesus Saves. And Jesus is God and what is God like? It's like this Jesus. And so that's where my world, in a good way, started to get shattered. Has God ever shattered your thinking? If not, and you want him to, careful on that prayer. Because he will. And when he does that, we start to see things differently. I remember being at another church, sitting in the youth house, and I think it was Desert Storm started. And me and a couple other guys, I think I was young, so I wasn't totally an idiot yet. I wasn't responsible yet. We were kind of giddily laughing because we kind of said, God's on our side and we're going to get everybody. And I was wrong, and that was wrong because, again, I was kind of trapped into the hometown buffet theology of God has many different faces. Now, God does have many different attributes. Amen. He does. He does. But how he's revealed himself supremely to his creation is by the man, Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that. So all of his attributes have to go through the lens of Christ, and I'll get there on the cross. So that's what I've been struggling with in a good way for two or three years. Back then, in those days when I was hopefully naive and immature, I had these verses to quote when I would preach about God. Job 38, I love Job 38 still, but I would use it as a sledgehammer sometimes. Job's had some discussion with God. Job's been a faithful man. Job's friends are kind of rotten, and Job is fed up. He's been a good soldier. You there? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That's, that's already ominous, right? Next verse. God says this, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's pretty good too. I don't advise you to use that in a business meeting because you better know it all. <laughs> you better know everything. You better be, the, you, if you're the CEO, you can, but you're, what's the word? The, uh, the attitude, the morale at the company might go down a little bit after that, right? Next verse. Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me you have understanding. And to that, now I say amen. But now, as I continue to go on this path with Jesus, and it's not about me, it's just the way I'm seeing things. Now I take that passage in Job and all other passages and look at it through the cross. And that's where we have to go. Every time. Because has God created everything? Yeah. Did God lay the foundation of the universe? Yeah. Is it God's right to talk to his creation at times like that? 
Yes, but what I'm learning, it's usually not the pastor's right to speak for God. And you should get a big amen. Because we funnel that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Back to the iPad. In my heart in these times, even when I taught this to children, students, maybe 15 years ago, it was well-intended, but doubts and questions were not welcome, I would just open to Job. (laughs) And that's one way of dealing with it. I'll speak from my own heart. Because I'm a sinner and because I'm fallen and because I live in this world, in my DNA, I'm a rebel. Anybody, any rebels with me? There's a few more, but we're in church, so we'll go with it, okay? I like to buck against the grain when I can. Ask my wife. She's smirking. Ask my mom. She's here, too. And sometimes you do it, and you get older, you got to do it in kind of a more uh, subtle way. I believe it's part of my nature. I believe it's part of most of our natures. I know it's the way of the world. We like to rebel. We like to subvert. And this is kind of where I see this Jesus as I've been trying to follow him for some years now. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus led an insurgency. Jesus was subversive. And we all go, yeah, let's go with Team Jesus. But he did it in a way that came from heaven and a way that was not born in Rome. And that's the whole difference. Jesus' revolution was heavenly. It wasn't like Caesar's or the Assyrians or any of the crusades from Islam or Christendom. It was from heaven. So I began to read and study how did he subvert the prince and the powers and all these things. And that's where we start to see the New Testament light up. And maybe for me and all of us who are walking this walk, we have our road to Emmaus revelation. Where our hearts begin to burn, not once a year, but daily because we see our Lord in a whole new light. Again, Luke 24, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Why did their hearts burn? Because the living word, the literal in Greek, the logic and idea, the very nature of God was explaining the Bible to them. Think about that. The living word was opening up the Old Testament to two or three or more gentlemen in Luke 24, and he was going and going, this is what it means. Anybody ever had a master teacher? It's different, right, Josh? When they teach, right? I was on my paramedic internship. The first one went bad. I almost got in a fist fight outside of San Mateo Medical Center. It's a different hospital now. And my preceptor was much smaller than me, and he was nose to chin. His nose was at my chin. And uh, I almost got fired and whatnot because he went on to do some stuff, and no harm, no foul. He was not a good teacher. I went down to Salinas for three months, and I had a master paramedic intern teacher. His name was Kevin Strobridge. He was in a 
PA program, Physician's Assistant program at Stanford, so he was getting more education, and he was phenomenal, and he taught me in a different way, and I thrived. I went from like, almost needed marriage counseling in that time, because we, we just got married, don't ever do that either, that's fun. And almost flunking out of the program to being a top-notch paramedic in six months, largely because of my own, I had to deal with my own stuff, but I had a master teacher. So the master teacher, the living word, shows up on the road to Emmaus and opens up the Old Testament and says, this is what it's about. And their hearts burned. The master teacher is still alive and well. He is the living word, and he isn't solely found linear on pages, though this talks about him, but he is alive and well. What is the double-edged sword in Hebrews 4? Is it a page? It's Jesus. He's the word. And when he shows up, my heart does bend and my bones are pierced and it gets down to the nitty-gritty and I get new revelation and my heart burns. So if he's a revolutionary, if the gospel and the kingdom has come to subvert this life and beat death and sin, we know that's happened on the cross. One transaction for all who will believe. How are we to live now? Because if we solely do that, as I've said before, we only care about the afterlife and we want the world to go to hell. We will never say that. We will never say that, but that's how we what? Live. That's how 83% of ourselves profess faith and 75% of those who profess faith have no different in their life, difference in their life. That's how that works. So what do we do as Christians? John chapter 13, we'll finish. This is the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, look at verse three, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back. You know what John says in 13.3? Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is in control. That's what that verse means. What did Jesus know? The Father and I are one, and he's given me everything. That's the basis of the next account. Omnipotence. You want to laugh? What would Donald Trump do with an omnipotence? What would Barack Obama do? What would Bill Clinton do? What would George II do? On and on down through the line. But what we want to see in the scriptures, what did this man Jesus do with omnipotence? Because that's, that's the key. I know what men and women will do. I've read history. What do men usually do? Gather all the pretty women for themselves and kill everyone else. Sorry. That's what we do. What do women usually do? Start better, and then it all goes down from there. Ladies, you got a little better, okay? Sometimes you finish better, too. You're kind of more instant. But that's the point of history. But the question in John 13 with 3 is, what does Jesus do? He's got everything. He's got the power. What's he going to do? I need a volunteer. Connor? All right, come on up. Let's hear it for Connor.
Hurry. I'm up, I'm up against it. All right, take off your shoes. Take off your socks. I don't want any part of those. Our Lord, with all the power in the universe, washed the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him, with all the power. Think, think about that, church. Amen? Our Lord, with all the power given to him by his Father himself, one. Go ahead and have a seat. It's cold. Sorry, bro. That's why I picked a junior higher. He loved his enemies. He washed the feet of an enemy. And he went to the cross to what? Sacrifice himself. Go try and fit them both in. That's good. It's going to be cold, so don't. But this is what Jesus did. I'm not Jesus. Sometimes an example speaks better than the pastor. Okay, here we go. This is what he did. He washed the feet. And what did he symbolize in washing the feet? There's a lot of Bible studies on that. He said things like, when I am gone, do this over and over again for each other. And what was he getting at? Love each other and forgive each other. Because I'm going to a place and things are going to happen to which you're going to need to forgive each other. Let's hear it for Connor. Good job. That water felt very good. The water felt very good. We say amen, young man. He'll be a preacher one day. I'll finish with this. We know the rest of the account. Paul understood this. St. Paul, we love him. Some call him. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians, the world sees the cross as foolishness and weakness. We see it as the power of God and the wisdom of God. The world laughs at Jesus and his followers, kingdom folk, people who are picking up their cross and trying to follow him, going, the one with all the power served those he created, and then he would further serve all by carrying a cross and being crucified even though they rejected him. That's God. That's the living God. The other stuff, we're all works in progress about. Amen? We can be. We're on this journey together, and I feel personally like I've almost had a second, second birth seeing Jesus this way. And I want to take you as my friends on that same journey. And that's the power we have to go to San Carlos, to our places of work, to the United States, and to the ends of the world with that message. The message of the gospel is many things that are all true, but one of them is the one with all the power washed feet and called us to do the same. What would Caesar have done with all the power back then? What would Nero have done a couple decades later? He tried to. He tried to kill everyone. But the true king, the true omnipotent one, put himself in a towel, washed feet, and then went to a Roman cross to say, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what's going on. I was going to pray for Camilla at the end. We already prayed for her. We're good with one prayer, right? We'll continue to pray for you. Why don't we stand? Please join us next week on May 7th. We will have Pastor Greg and Missionary Greg Sneller. He'll be fresh off the mission field. So if you know any missionaries, uh, missionaries who are fresh off the mission field, they usually come with a little fire, right? So it'll be good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this family. Thank you for these dear ones. Give us the grace to pursue your son so our hearts may burn when he teaches us about the Bible, about life, about himself about what he would have us do as we walk with him in this life. 
Bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.